night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the show, everyone. Great to have you all along as we get ready to kick off another night of talking about very, very interesting topics. One in particular tonight, we'll spend a lot of time talking about near-death experiences with our guest, Trisha Barker. Trisha has been on the program before. If you're a long-time listener, you may remember her story. I'm not going to spoil it for you now. I'll let her tell it to you. However, it's a fascinating one, and it changed the course of her life, of course. And uh, that's why she'll be here tonight to talk about it. She's also talking about mediumship because she does that work as well. And uh, she's got a a global near-death experience online summit coming up that she'll talk a little bit about as well. So that's tonight's conversation. Looking forward to it very much, by the way. Uh, One more thing I just want to bring up, and I mentioned this on my other program, I think, last night. But we've all kind of been waiting with bated breath for this disclosure that has been talked about extensively coming from the U.S. government. A report is supposed to be issued to Congress any day now, within the next three weeks. They don't know exactly when it'll arrive to Congress, but could be as early as tomorrow, and I think it could be as late as June 25th. So any day, this report will be handed to Congress, I think primarily from the Department of Defense, about their knowledge of an interaction with UFO or UAPs, depending on how which which acronym you want to use. UFOs, of course, unidentified flying objects, not necessarily alien craft, but unidentified flying objects. UAPs is unidentified aerial phenomenon. Either way, these are things that the military says they have not been able to identify that have very, very odd uh, physical characteristics. And when I say physical, I mean as far as uh, in terms of the laws of physics. They seem to possess technology that we do not understand and certainly do not have ourselves. But will it be explained differently? We'll find out. I will say one thing, and this is why I wanted to bring it up tonight. There is uh, somebody in the media who's saying this is probably just a distraction by the U.S. government, get people talking about this kind of thing. His name is Alex Marlowe. He's written a book about media. He's the Breitbart News Editor-in-Chief, and he said that he believes that uh, these recent government claims are a sort of a distraction from the media- meaningful crises and threats affecting the nation right now. He said that things like the problems going on in this country, the Middle East is on fire right now, I'm quoting from him, the border's open and people are flooding through it, and now we're seeing lab leak stuff we're talking about, the jobs numbers are not where they need to be, the energy sector is not where it should be, and we're talking about aliens. It seems like a total head fake by the government. It's fun, but it's stupid hour. That's according to Alex Marlowe, the author of uh, a book that uh, discusses media hype and, and media corruption, actually. So we'll see. I don't know where you fall on this particular topic, but when they <laughs> when they release this report, we'll find out. There have been a lot of very interesting videos recently that the military has either released or has had uh, leaked, and it makes you scratch your head a little bit. A lot of odd questions can come from those things, but we just don't know what they are. You know, in particular, I watch some of those, and, and watching the, the way the camera tracks them, you can't tell, you can't, I mean, sometimes it looks like it's just like a, a, some type of uh, foreign debris on the lens of the camera, the way it moves with the camera. But then again, those are high-tech cameras, so I don't know. I'm waiting to see what this report says. I'm very, very anxious to hear it. And as soon as it does come out, we will have somebody on the program who can break it down for us. I promise you that, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, let me see. Speaking of which, let me just see what we've got coming up here because there's some great stuff 
on the uh, calendar as well. And I know Thursday night we've got Alan Stanfield coming on to the show. And Alan's going to be talking about remote viewing. We haven't talked about that in a while. So that'll be Thursday night's program. And, of course, if you have not found the political program that I am doing now, I invite you. Of course, if you're political-minded, you'll appreciate it. If you're not, you might not want to want to join us. Uh, but it is called The Independence Gang. It can be found on the YouTube channel with that name, The Independence Gang. That's E-N-C-E, Independence Gang. And it's, there's also a podcast of the same name, The Independence Gang Podcast. Either way is a great way to uh, listen to us rant about politics and the issues facing the country and the world uh, we do that live on YouTube Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern if you want to join the live discussion. A lot of you folks in our chat room here do that, and we appreciate that, of course. Love to see all of you scroll through. And love seeing you all in here tonight. Bunch of new names, too. Welcome to you all. If you haven't had a chance to subscribe, please do so. We we uh, appreciate that very much. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll get our guest. Again, Trisha Barker will be with us tonight. She's the author of a book that we'll be talking about as well. And the book you may remember, because again, we talked about it when she was on last time, is called Angels in the OR. And uh, you may say, why is this book called Angels in the OR? Well, Trisha's going to tell you in just a moment. We'll be right back. It's Beyond Reality. Hey, it's JV here. You know I've asked for your support in the past, and I'm going to do it again because it's really, really important. And there are a couple of ways you can support the show, and it's so inexpensive. Now, you can go to Patreon, and you can become a Patreon supporter, and we really, really encourage that. But there's also another way. If you look at the description of the podcast, if you're a podcast listener, and you scroll down to the bottom, there's a way to support the show directly through the podcast app. And it's only 99 cents a month. It's less than a buck. You probably have that change in your couch right now. That dollar a month less than a dollar goes a long way in helping us produce this program provide great interviews for you during the course of the week i thank you in advance because the support is so important to the program when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply Looking forward to tonight's discussion. We've got a terrific guest, a returning guest, actually. Trisha Barker will be with us tonight. She's an author, a medium, and a professor. She's the also the founder of the Online Near-Death Experience Summit. And as I said, she's a near-death experiencer, an international speaker, a YouTuber, and a best-selling Audible author of Angels in the OR, What Dying Taught Me About Healing, Survival, and Transformation. Her website is Trisha Barker, NDE for Near-Death Experience, NDE. Trisha, welcome back to Beyond Reality. It's a real honor to have you with us again. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this. I'm excited to uh, talk with your guests and talk with you. Yeah, we've been looking forward to it as well. A lot of things have changed. I can't remember exactly when it was that you were on last uh, year, two years ago, with this 2020 thing that was kind of an aberration for us all. My whole perspective of time has just escaped me. But I know when you were here last, you told us the story. But we have had so many people join the audience in the group here that uh, we need to hear this story again. Basically, you know, the story of your NDE and how all this started. Then we'll get into all these other details. Yeah, and I love telling the story because even when you rehear a story, I think these stories transport us to the energy of the other side. And for those who are sensitive to energy, these these near-death experiences are just absolutely 
beautiful. And for me, you know, it was a big shock. I was agnostic and I was just talking with a friend from college who's also still an agnostic. You know, so many of my friends were in science or, you know, we're just college students who had turned away from religion and found it, um, you know, repulsive really on, on many levels. And, and we were steeped deep in academia and, you know, a very worldly life. And so this near-death experience changed the trajectory of how I thought about life and and really how I, you know, considered life. Like, I, I remember having fears of dying and thinking, oh my God, I'm just going to go into the ground and I'm just going to become nothing. But you know, dirt. And this is, you know, kind of horrifying when you're thinking about it from that perspective. So yeah. when I had this major car accident on my way to run the Austin 10K, I was a senior in college in 94. I broke my back in three different places. So there were three vertebrae that were completely crushed. And I knew this while waiting in the ER. And they didn't know how many internal injuries I had, so they couldn't um, give me painkillers. So I was just frantic, and I was thinking about everything in the material world, my classes, my car, my body, am I going to walk? And, you know, that sure. was all I could think about. And when I was wheeled into surgery, you know, it, it, probably at about midway through this massive spinal surgery that they were conducting, I lifted up out of my body. And the first part of my experience was just an out-of-body experience. I was hovering somewhere above my body, and I could see the room in 360-degree vision, and I saw how bloody the body looked. And I remember feeling disconnected from that body immediately and going, wow, that's my body on the operating table, but I go on. And, And my first thought was I'm really excited that my consciousness goes on. Like, this is exciting, the news. Like, this is wonderful. Everything that I thought uh, about just not existing is so much different. And in that realm, I remember also thinking, like, I felt clearer and smarter than when I was in my body. Like, a lot of different, um, uh, you know, my consciousness felt immediately expanded. And then, of course, there were these angels. Uh, I call them angels, but they were light beings. They you know, for all I knew, they could have been aliens. They were just massive light beings that were sending energy as, like, telepathy into my body, and they were not male or female or into my spirit form and into my body at the same time. So they were communicating with my spirit, saying, it's going to be fine, watch this, and then they sent this light through the neurosurgeons into my physical form, and my whole spine and whole body lit up, and you know, I know this now to be like light healing or energy healing, and it was working through these neurosurgeons. And at the time, I just remember thinking, oh, my God, I can't wait to talk with these neurosurgeons later and see if they know that angels are working through them. Well, of course they didn't. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that was kind of horrifying to them. You know, they were very much <laughs> proud of their, their work, and it was their work. Right. Um, but, you know, today there are surgeons who understand that they're assisted. There are people who walk on this planet who know that the work they do is assisted by the other side. And and that was the first time, you know, I'd ever even thought about that. So that was the first part of my near-death experience. And then the monitor flatlined, and I remember thinking, no way, I do not want to see them revive this body. It's already so bloody. I'm out of here. And my stepfather 
was in the waiting room, and I passed by him. He was at a vending machine, and he was getting a candy bar out of the machine. And my story has been studied so much because of that one verifiable detail that, to me, didn't really mean that much. But researchers love that because that's you know proof that consciousness exists out of um, you know after death to some degree. And and I watched him, and I thought, oh, you know, I don't know him that well. I hope he's nice to my mom. And, you know, if I don't come back here, like, already I switched to this idea of this is kind of fun being a spirit. I don't know if I want to go back <laughs> to that body. <laughs> that, didn't, <laughs> that didn't sound that great. It was pretty broken. And then I flew out into the night sky. And when you're consciousness and when you're a spirit form, you just think something and then you do it. So, you know, I went through walls. I flew into the night sky. And in that realm... I tell this to people frequently because we hold on to so many grudges and bitternesses, you know, just as people. And all of that just went away. I just remember thinking, hey, enjoy life, everyone, and have a good life, and I love you, and be good. You know, like that was, that was really the essence of my soul was just enjoy this life experience because it's short. And, right. you know, in that realm, you just feel so much freedom. And I I felt greater consciousness coming toward me quicker and quicker and, you know, a variety of messages, messages like remind them to go to nature and love is all that matters when we, it's all we take with us. And then the life review is a common theme in many near-death experiences. And I saw, you know, at 22, I wasn't a particularly bad person. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't harm anyone intentionally. Uh, so I didn't have to review a lot. I just saw that when I was a kid and I played in nature that, you know, that was a good thing to have faith and to have connection and joy. And when I judged people, I was a little judgy, you know, like if they did, they, people didn't go to my college or they didn't dress like me or they weren't, you know, quote, as cool as I was, I didn't have time for them. And I remember thinking, oh, now I see into their hearts and souls, and I was judging really good people uh, that actually cared about me. And some of the people who I thought were, quote, cool, didn't really care about me. <laughs> so, you know, there was this, this understanding that sometimes we miss out on these lovely people who are just there, and they're just salt of the earth, just amazing people. And for whatever reason, we don't see their goodness. And I thought, I'm never going to judge people in that way. I'm going to see their hearts from this part point forward. That was my, my big lesson at that age. I don't even know what it would be at this age. You know, we evolve and change. And, right. you know, that was, that was Trisha at 22. But, um, you know, when I, I moved on um, into this next realm, I just call it a realm, it looks like, quote, what you would call heaven, but it didn't feel like heaven to me. It felt like a holding place or just this scene, really, where I could connect with my grandfather. The grass was very green and beautiful, and I remember thinking thoughts like, all that dies is reborn. All that, you know, is temporary here is eternal in this other realm, and my grandfather looked so beautiful. He just looked about 35. I didn't recognize him at first, and he had died in his late 70s of leukemia, and he was very, you know, <clears throat> skinny and, and uh, different, you know, at, at death when I saw him. And, and in that realm, he looked great, and he also communicated with telepathy and just made me feel at peace and at home and as if, 
you know, this piece of unconditional love that he had given me in life, I knew that this was also something that never died, that true love and true unconditional love is the currency over there, that if you have that with someone, you still get to experience it with them. And this, you know, goes for pets and people and, and everything, that what you love, you are not, you're never, you've never, you're never going to lose it in that realm. And he looked at me at some point and said, would you like to continue on? And I knew that continue on as this soul that was journeying through this new experience in this new realm meant journey towards God. And when I say God, that turns some people off. I, I don't know what term to use. I right. just know that it was universal consciousness. And, and it should, and just, just a comment, it shouldn't turn people off. God can mean whatever you, and I say you, I mean the person hearing that word defines it as or wants it to be. I, I, I get really bothered that, that it offends people. It shouldn't. Yeah, I don't think so either. Like, you know, language, we struggle with language to describe these experiences because they're they're shocking to us. You know, it's yeah. not exactly what we thought. But then it's also this feeling of coming home and that light of God, that that unconditional love felt like a coming home, like I was a magnet to that light. It was what I wanted more than anything was to be near that love. And I had 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 a difficult life in in some ways. You know, I had um, experienced child abuse and neglect and, you know, everything that I was trying to build myself up with in this world was, you know, my self-esteem was based on the material, you know, making money, being smart. You know, these were things that I thought was my way out of poverty and, you know, feeling shamed in childhood. But as I started going towards that light, all of those things just seemed to be cleared from my soul, if that makes sense. And I felt people's prayers trying to pull me back. And I was like, no way. Uh, I want to keep going towards that light. And, you know, I could tell the essence of the prayers as well as the words. And what I say now is prayer is energy. So even if you prayed for someone and they died, they still felt your love, you know, on their way out. Like, I know who loved me, and I knew, know who was praying earnestly that, that I stay here. And as I got closer and closer to that light of God, I just felt different. I felt, oh, I'm finally whole. I'm finally okay. Like, I'm, I feel good. This is the way we're meant to feel. And I think we all deserve that connection to that flow of unconditional love. If there's one lesson that people listening could take. It's, you know, we misunderstand love. We think we have to get it from people. No, we have this huge source, you know, just if you think about it, you know, and we can connect to it at any time, and we can be love, and we can walk through this life as love, and that was my biggest lesson, is that I am loved, and I am love, and I can connect to love, and that's that. (laughs) Like, that was the biggest lesson, but I was actually given a mission and told to return, and I hit this energetic wall at some point. I wanted to keep going towards that love, and I was told to go back and work as a teacher and that I would remind people to turn on their lights. And I I look at this as like soul mission or connection. You know, when you have joy and passion, you you feel full of light. And, And I thought, okay, I guess I can do that. You know, the... 
on some level, I understood I could. On the other level, I was like, oh, wait, I have to go back to that materialistic place, and I grew up poor, and no, God, give me another mission. I don't want this one. (laughs) And that was the last moment I had with God, and so I did indeed return back and work as a teacher for many years. So when when you were in that other realm, when you were in this other place, you you acknowledge you recognize you still understood that you had family uh in the in the physical plane that uh, maybe uh you know obviously distraught because of your condition in the operating room at the time you know maybe uh you know already uh, upset that they think they may have lost you all these things right but did you ever feel disconnected from them on that other side or did you feel more empowered to give them the love that you possessed for them from that other plane that's a really good question. I think I was so curious at that moment. I wanted to know God, you know, like I wanted to go to that light. And had I stayed there longer, you know, had I passed, I think I would have sent love, you know, like wanted them to know that love. Because you didn't want to, you didn't want to come back from what I'm hearing. Yeah, I really kind of Even didn't. though you knew you had family, you knew you had loved ones that were already upset about the possibility you might, you know, might not survive the surgery. I know, you know, and, and people don't like to hear that because I understand that we talk and I talk to tons of people who have experienced deep grief and they want to um, they want to hear a different story. And all I can say is that maybe it can give someone comfort that that love is so overwhelming. It's more powerful than a parent's love. It's more powerful than romantic love. It is enough to make you feel totally whole that in the presence of that love, all is well, all is fine, and there's no comparison on earth. There's no drug. There's no yeah, there's and that's nothing. I, I kind of, you know, as much as I certainly, uh, I lost my parents, you know, and I mourn them. I mourn them not being here, and I know that if something were to happen to me, my children would mourn me and not want that to happen. Yeah. But something in your story made me feel as though, wait a minute, there's a greater love there that even though you're missing, you know. If if that had, if you had stayed there, or in the case of my parents, even though they're missing from here, when I when I walk, I can't call them on the phone. I can't do the things I used to yeah. do. But maybe they're in a place where they can actually love me more than they yeah. could here. That's kind of yeah. what I got from what you yeah. said. And, and I do get that. I give readings now, medium readings, and what I'm noticing, and I'm sure other mediums say this, but I haven't heard it a lot of times. Is I'm noticing that when the spirit comes in. They want to keep energetically assisting the people that they love. So they want to keep sending you light and keep sending you energy to fulfill your purpose. And they're like, even though they're not there on an energetic level, they want to assist. So I think, I think to some degree I would have sent light and hope and, yeah. you know, not want them to suffer and want them to heal and, you know, that eventually you know, when I was filled up enough by that unconditional love, I think I would have turned it back to them because the greatest, the greatest healer is always unconditional love. Now you, uh, I think if I, if I read some of your story correctly, the, the, the amount of time that passed, uh, in the operating room in which you were, uh, I think you coded or, or however you would describe it was what, about two and a half minutes. Yeah. So the first, um, outlet that interviewed me and um, was the Bio Channel. They did this series. I survived beyond and back, and they got a hold of my hospital records and they found out that I 
blood to death and somewhere between two minutes and 35 seconds or 45 seconds, my heart stopped. They were carterizing veins and, and trying to, you know, get me back that way. Right. So about two and a half minutes, we'll say, on the physical world, what did it seem to you in the other presence? Did you feel a, a passage of time at all? You know, it felt like uh, the best way to describe it is chapters. You know, there was the moment in the hospital. There was the moment in the night sky. There was a transition into the cosmos. There was a transition into heaven. So to me, it could have been a week. It could have been a day. It could have been three hours. Yeah. Two minutes doesn't seem like enough, but but it also seems timeless. It seems like you're the best way to describe it is if there was a picture book and you were just turning the pages and however long it took you to see all these images and also soak up the energy, then that's that's how long it took. And I think that that comes back to this passage of, you know, you losing your parents, which is, you know, a horrible thing. And people who lose kids, that's, you know, it's yeah. horrible as well. The people on the other side, we we kind of feel like, oh, it'll be like, you know, you snap your fingers and then you see everyone. Like time is so different there that you you feel like it's going to be a very short amount of time when you see everyone. If that helps, I mean, it yeah. doesn't help here, but right. it does. right. that's the way it feels there. Other <laughs> uh, other folks that have had near death experiences that I've talked to on this program, uh, many of them talk about this during that what however brief period it is that you're on that other side, they almost describe it as a download, like uh, love, information, energy is being downloaded to them. Would you describe it the same way? Oh, definitely with the angels. Like, I was totally aware that I didn't understand everything that they were communicating to me. And sometimes I wonder, you know, I waited from... I told my story to every group of students I ever had, but I waited until 2008 to tell it on one television program, and then I thought, done, check that off. You know, like people who need these stories, you know, they they can do that. And then, then I just kept getting asked to do, you know, bigger and bigger outlets, and I thought, you know what, there were... All these outlets are covering the story in the way they want to for their particular way. I, I need to tell this story in my own way. You at one point described your thoughts as being things like all that dies is reborn, thoughts like that. Were they your thoughts or was this, in fact, information coming either from the light beings or from the love or, or some other source that you were being introduced to? It was definitely coming from the light source, but, you know, it was communicated in a way that made sense to my soul with images catered to me, and that's why near-death experiences are individual, because that light knows how to communicate um, metaphorically, you know, through downloads, through images, through things that make sense to that particular soul. And, yeah, I've, I've wondered if some of those messages from the light and from the angels waited until, you know, maybe 2016 when I started really, you know, talking about this to, you know, that was maybe a point in time when I needed to talk. You were given a mission. Uh, was it the light beings or the, or angels? We use those words interchangeably for this discussion. Was it the angels that gave you the mission? Did you feel it came from directly from God, whatever God is? Uh, yeah. Is that where the mission came from? It definitely came from God. You know, that unconditional love, that light of God is where I wanted to keep going and, and to stay there. You know, I wanted to stay in that place. And that 
was what I was shown through images and through you know communication and download and at the soul level, I think of that idea of soul contracts and how all of us must take on different missions, even you know without a near death experience like you know pre birth we're like, yeah, I'll come down here and do that, and it looks really simple. And then we get here and we're like, oh, my God, I took on this. This is way harder. <laughs> you know, like when you think of fear versus love and that's all you're, you're working on in people, you don't think of kids and gangs and people threatening to kill your dog and beat you up. You know what I mean? Like right. something, bad school administrations. You don't think of all this. You just think, oh, I'm going to go back and remind everybody to love everyone. <laughs> But it's a little more complicated than that. <laughs> were, the, were the light beings, were, did they have a uh, a form or were they just pure light? And did you have a form? Did you notice whether or not, if if you could observe yourself, if you had kind of the same form that you had when you were in your body? That's a great question. I left that part out of my, my story. So as soon as I left my body, I, I felt like I was my... 22-year-old self, but made of light, and the light beings were about nine feet tall, androgynous-looking. They had something that looked like cloaks or robes on or just a flowing of energy, and their hair was long, like shoulder-length and curly, but not, and they had human-like faces, but their eyes were pure light, and they communicated through those eyes that were made of light, and that's how they sent messages, and that's how they sent healing. I understood that I looked like myself, but then there was one message I heard, which is kind of biblical, and it was, um, be like a little child. And so right as I heard that at the end of my life review, I decided to enter heaven like I was five. And so my grandfather looked 35, and I looked about five, and I just... it's almost like I took a picture from what I've seen of myself at five, and I made myself look like that. Uh, so if, if I understood that correctly, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, you decided to enter this heaven in, in, in your five-year-old self, basically. Did that put your grandfather at 35? I mean, it, what, does no, that relationship stay no, the same? No, that was just his age that okay. he picked. I guess gotcha. he liked that age. Yeah, you know? okay. Um. <laughs> The uh, the light being, I have to just ask this question, and maybe maybe to get it out of the way, maybe it'll prompt other questions. But there are some folks who uh, are talking more and more loudly about these types of experiences when you meet these, as you call them, light beings or angels, that they're actually extraterrestrial in nature. And I don't mean that from from a, a spiritual way. I mean that as an as in an alien, another planet, another dimensional way. Uh, do you have any opinion on that whatsoever? A lot of people speculate, but you actually saw these beings. You know, what I felt was honored in a way that they were there because they were um, highly intelligent. That was my first thought is, wow, these beings are so highly intelligent. They understand how to work with light energy, how to heal, how to communicate this way, and they have so much more knowledge and understanding than I have. And, you know, some people have talked about their their angels or their light beings as um, their equals or their higher self. That's not really what I felt. I mean, I would consider them archangels or, you know, something, you know, magnificent that, you know, kind of stunned me that they were there for me. So if if they are extraterrestrials, uh, you know, don't rule it out, but 
the all that the only concept I had growing up religious was angels. They didn't really look like you know they didn't have wings. They didn't look exactly like the way I would think angels to be. But the one thing I can say with all certainty is that they had higher intelligence. That they were just you know like no one on earth has that kind of intelligence. The um, angels or the light beings, again, using those terms interchangeably here, do you think that they were your, let's use the word guardian angels, or do you think they, you know, maybe it's, it's a little, it was a little more random in that, than that, and these were just happened to be the beings that greeted you when you made this journey? You know, I, I really should ask more about that, but, you know, I feel that they are there for me, you know, like in general, that these are angels that... Um, you know, work with me, you know, and whether they are my guardians and stay with me, you know, all the time, I know that they were appointed at that time and that they still are somehow a part of my life. Uh, I know that, yeah, that that moment in time was pivotal. And yeah. I don't, I don't know why exactly, but there seems to be moments in history and the 90s seemed to be a time when a lot of people were awakening and then, you know, the 2014, 15, 16 is another time. There just seems to be moments in history as well as 2020 when when there seems to be just greater consciousness coming to the planet. And it's it could be that it's just random. You know, of course, modern medicine is, survive, is helping more people survive. But for me, it seemed like an appointment. You know, this was a we're going to change the trajectory of your life. The uh, I just want to make sure I asked that question clearly or, or, or appropriately. I guess what I was asking was, do you think that that group of angels was your were your guardian angels, or do you think that they were just maybe random angels that were there to meet you? Maybe you did answer that properly. I just want to make sure I asked it properly. I, I believe that they are still with me. You know that they that these stay with me. Okay. But um, yeah. Um, so the life review that you had, it the way you described it, you you basically. Uh, came out of the other end of that life review having a different appreciation for people, judging them, realizing that maybe you were judging them in ways they didn't deserve to be judged. And uh, how did that affect you when you came back? How did it change your behavior? Oh, I was just busted wide open with love. You know, that it was so easy to love everyone. And this was misunderstood at times, but it was also, it also opened me up to great friendships, you know, spiritual friends and friends who did yoga and friends, I mean, like after I recovered, I had it like a year. Oh, I'm sure that took some <laughs> time. Cast, yeah, but, yeah. But um, when I returned to college the next year, I was just full of excitement to get into the classroom. And, you know, like there was also a childishness to some of my behavior. I felt like new in the body again. So I would look at trees with birds in them and sense the energy around trees. And I remember the Celestine prophecy had come out at that time oh, and yeah. I joined a group and we mm-hmm. talked about that and all of that was like second nature to me. I was like, of course, Trisha, the trees. <laughs> Trisha, I didn't understand that book. <laughs> I have to admit, <laughs> I, I, I actually listened to it as a book on tape. I was making a trip. Uh, gosh, where was I going? I was driving. Oh, I think I was driving from New York to, to uh, Milwaukee or something like that. And I listened to it, and I, I don't know if it was because I was too busy paying attention to traffic that a lot of the details escaped me, but I didn't understand it. <laughs> oh. I think I was the only person on the planet that didn't get it. 
Oh, maybe maybe you need to see the movie. It's not the greatest movie, <laughs> but it does kind of break it down in images. <laughs> yeah, all right. Maybe I'll give that a shot. Um, you know, one of the things that you've been doing more of recently uh, is mediumship. You've been working as a medium, but I have to take you back to the near-death experience. Was it that experience that opened those sensitivities for you? Oh, definitely. You know, there were so many sensitivities that it was almost overwhelming. I was highly psychic after the experience, almost to this point that it was uh, a distraction, and I asked it to go away, and it was easy to funnel it. And so for so many years, I just used it in the classroom. I thought, this is a way that I can help others. So if I need a message from an angel, if I need a message from someone's ancestor, or, you know, I just need to use intuition to help a student figure out, you know, how to get through a difficult situation or find a passion in life, I'll use my intuition that way. And so it seemed to work best in, you know, channeling it into a, a career. And a lot of people always ask, well, why do psychics not win the lottery? Well, <laughs> it, you know, like it's, we should try. You know, I think more people should try, but, but there's a, um, there's a, uh, it, there's a fleetingness and a moment, you know, where you're, it seems to be able to be used to help others. Um, like that seems to be the, the best way to use it. I guess, in a sense, that energy and motion. And so that um, I didn't, you know, offer services or anything except right. occasional ghost clearing. So you know, when, <laughs> when friends would talk about a ghost in their house or they knew someone, my group of friends would get together and we'd, we'd uh, clear ghosts. And it was, you know, just kind of fun and silly for us. But we, we did it for free. And, you know, we, we actually did clear some entities. So I have to ask, this is kind of a side question, but um, after your experience, after meeting the light beings, the angels, after developing these sensitivities, what is your opinion of ghosts? What are ghosts then in this whole scheme? Yeah, so there's uh, there's a lot to this question. I interviewed one man who helps traumatize souls who, you know, just get stuck in a trauma loop for whatever reason. So they're just walking down the street and they're hit by a bus and they don't understand, and it seems kind of sad, that they don't understand that they're dead and they keep trying to get on the bus and they don't understand what's happening and they're in some kind of loop, sometimes that is the case. You know, and other times, um, you know, when someone is murdered um, or someone, you know, has something that they want to communicate and they're really tied to that place, then they're kind of angry about that. They're waiting for justice. You know, like there's there's some real, you know, weird stuff that, that happens on that realm. And then other times I think, this is just my belief, like there's like a residue. If something powerful happened, that there's almost like a vibration that's left and it's a part of the soul. Like the soul has transitioned on, but it's just, there's a part of it that's stuck there. And so um, you know, people often comment that there's a lot of Native American sites that um, that are haunted, and they are. And, you know, mm -hmm. that's one area where you can communicate and help a lot of souls that are angry um, about, you know, what happened, uh, transition and find peace. So when people use the, the phrase, you know, clearing ghosts, just the just those words have a bit of a negative connotation, but is it more accurate to say that you help them move on? Yeah, you ask them. So I show them a portal of light, and I say, this is what I experienced in my near-death experience, and that love was so healing. It heals all wounds, anything that you're hanging on to. 
you can simply release and find peace if you want to. And what I've found is that if you send enough light, maybe the soul goes into that portal and, you know, experiences that love or, you know, they just go away because they don't want to do that. As you started to recognize that uh, that you had these abilities to connect to the other side after your near-death experience, what was the, the thing that we call mediumship, uh, how did that start to become evident to you? Well, I just called it, you know, I crossed the veil so I can connect with people who are over there. And, you know, obviously I just mainly connected to people I was close to. When my dad died in 2008, I was very close to my dad. And... You know, he was the parent that I was closer to, and so he, uh, it, it was a big wound. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to follow him in the afterlife, and, you know, I'm going to get him to show me what he's seeing. And that's how the ability really started, was I followed him and got messages from him and images, and his experience was a little different from mine, but, you know, there were some similarities. And then when I met people and talked about my near-death experience, it was the parents who'd lost kids who were begging me to connect. And I just started doing it for free. I said, I don't know. I can connect with my dad, but let's see if I can really connect with your loved ones. And if I can't, no big deal. If I can, let's do it. As you learned about your dad's experience specifically, you said there were some differences in it. Why do you think people have different experiences? Is it from their ex- because of their experiences on Earth that changes yeah. their experience in this process? Yeah, so my dad was a super smart guy. I mean, like, Mensa-level intelligence, and he um, uh, he was just, I don't know how to describe it. He was in sales and perhaps drank too much and really just didn't fulfill his purpose. You know, he had a great love for music and a great love for certain things, but he, um, I don't know, he just chose an, an easy path or like his soul just didn't live at the level that he wanted to live. And so what he observed in his life review, and it kind of disturbed me at first, was he looked at every decision he had ever made and he saw how it would have affected the world and me and other people and, you know, just like how literally every decision um, changed the future. And I thought, that's kind of harsh, Dad. Is that purgatory? Like, what are you going through? And he's like, oh, no, 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 it's universe school. I'm just learning about everything and how all of our decisions affect everything. And he said, it's it's cool, it's wonderful, and I'm held in love, even though it seemed like judgment to me. You know, it seemed like kind of weighty. But that was just one part of his experience. At some point, he finished with that, and and he wanted to know, you know, other things. And so there was a lot of exploration. And what he's a jokester, so um, you know, he's always talking about coming back and reincarnating. <laughs> and I'm like, well, wait for me. And he's like, oh, whatever, <laughs> you've got this. You don't need me. And I'm like, that's not fair. <laughs> he really wants to come back like now. <laughs> So what is what are what is your what information have you been given about reincarnation and about uh, coming back you know the soul coming back to live another lifetime in a human form? What do we know about that from your experiences? You know, from my near death experience, um, I didn't get information per se about that. But when I woke up and you know started incorporating you know these after effects and trying to deal with them, 
I realized when I lived in Boston that I had ended my, I guess, my last life in probably the 20s around that time. Like the memories just started flooding back and anything that was built in Boston, you know, like that was still around and had been built in the 20s or before that, I didn't need a map. I just understood what, where certain things were in certain parts of town if I was walking around. And it was very, very familiar to me. So a lot of times people travel to a new place and they're, you know, even if it's overseas and they think, oh my God, I've been here. Right. That, that is one of the signs of a past life. And this is also fascinating. And, and it, I, I love the way it's changed your outlook on everything. Um, obviously you've, you've, you know, been able to enjoy these, these first of all, sensitivities, but also this newfound outlook on life for a, a few years now, as time goes on, do you find, you know, a lot of us fear what comes at the end of all of this, you know, when our years end uh, naturally or unnaturally, you know, we have a, a bit of a bit of a hesitancy. Do you have any hesitancies anymore? Well, I want a long life and a short death, <laughs> you know, like no right. one wants that long prolonged you know, and, and we do this so often to people where, you know, cancer is like, you know, an eight, ten-year battle or you're in the hospital just kept alive. And I, yeah. I have no interest in that. You know, I've, I've, um, I'm really grateful that there are states, and this might be controversial, but I'm grateful that there are states that allow people to make that choice when they have a terminal illness to end their life or to just you know, not take the medications to take them alive, keep them alive. So, you know, short answer is I have no fear of death. I live with some amount of chronic pain and some pain. I don't like it. No mm. one likes, you know, a body that, that hurts. Yeah. Uh, when you work as a medium for other people, when you do, you know, make the connection for other people or even for yourself with your father, do you, you work through these light beings, through these angels that have stayed with you to connect, or do you, can you connect independent of them? I love connecting with other people's angels, and I learn as I do this because um, everyone interacts differently with their own angels, and even though I saw these angels and you asked me questions about them, I forgot to call on them. You know, like it would hit me later, and I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to connect with these angels. You know, they're they're here for me. So I think a lot of times people wonder, like, should we? Is it right? You know, how do you do it? But what you can ask for is their energy. Just ask for them to work through you to help others. Or if you're going to a doctor's appointment and you want answers, ask that they work through a therapist, a doctor, or a healer. You know, just ask that they. They can work in terms of protection. I, since I died because of a car wreck, I do have some level of PTSD in cars. And when it's icy and raining, I'm, you know, freaking out a little bit in the car. And I'll call on angels, and I'll visually get a glimpse of them sometimes. And one time in an ice storm, they showed me that they were like a tank around me. That they put their whole energetic force field around me to oh, wow. show me that they were protecting my car. I was like, well, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, that's a nice image. Yeah, uh, that'll give you a little bit of confidence. Uh, your book is called Angels in the R, which basically uh, talks about this everything we've been talking about tonight. Why did you decide to write it? Uh, it was an interview with National Geographic in 2016 that I knew I, I had to write this book after that because they gave me one sentence in this massive article, and it was something like. 
Uh, Trisha Barker died in, in 1994 and saw her stepdad get a candy bar out of a vending machine. And to this day, she believes that the spirits work through her in the classroom. And I thought, oh, my God, that sounds horrible. I sound like a nut. Like, I've got to explain this to people. I'm a, I'm a straight-talking, streetwise, you know, worldly, you know, individual with some spiritual knowledge. Like, I, I have both, and, you know, I can talk to people where they are and... You know, and I also wanted to tell the story of students that I also wanted anyone who struggled with their own awakening or, you know, how to deal with all these after effects to just understand that it's complicated, that we live in a messy world, that there are, you know, psychopaths and narcissists and, you know, criminals out there who, you know, are... um you know, will prey on people who don't have good boundaries and are shot full of love. And so it's a, it's an interesting balance that you do have to protect yourself. But yeah, we do energetically keep giving love to this world and love in real practical ways. Let's to make this yeah, let, better. Let's talk about some of those side effects, if you will. Are there things as a result of your NDE or your awakening that are negatives? Uh, any drawbacks at all? You know, that's, I was beginning to touch on it with the unconditional love. You know, if you came from a family where codependency was a part of it or abuse was a part of it, and then you have this awakening and you're young. Uh, so this this happens a lot more with kids who have NDEs and teenagers and then me at 22. You know, that's still pretty young. There's a, a little bit of naivete about the world and at those ages, then then you become um, almost too innocent for this world, if that makes sense, that if it works out well in many cases, I, I won't deny that, you know, giving love to the world can elevate people and, you know, can add this energy that's really sweet to a lot of situations, but uh, without knowledge that there are um, predators, basically, then it, um, you know, it can be kind of shocking to be back here and encounter something. So, so folks that that possess this love as a result of this and, and these uh, these these emotions and these sensitivities, they can be taken advantage of. Oh yeah, in business and relationships and all kind of ways. So it's important for people, I think, and I really, you know, that's one of the reasons I wrote this book is not to blame children who have near death experiences and then you know, make these weird choices like, oh, I've got to love everyone. I mean, like I've heard this from, you know, 15-year-old girls who had a near-death experience, and they're like, well, this guy wants me. I guess I've got to love him. <laughs> like, no, you don't. <laughs> like, you literally don't. <laughs> you know, like there's this sense of I've got to hug everyone. I've got to be everyone's friend. And, you know, there's there's a balance. Yes, on an energy level, you can love everyone. But on another level, you can protect yourself because that self-love is what's going to carry you through to make you a beacon of light to teach others about unconditional love. You, you, you talk about other people that have had similar experiences and aren't really sure what to do about them or with them. Do you think it's helpful for people to tell their stories like you did? It totally depends. You know, I would just say it's an individual thing and um, you always have to look closely at yourself and go, what part of this is just telling it for the sake of humanity and 
what part of it is, is ego. And, you know, ego will get beaten out of you in this world really quickly. So if it is, well, just get ready to get beat up. <laughs> you know, like if you're doing it for the sake of love and, you know, enlightening others, then, you know, there's no attachment to it. In a recent discussion you had, and you actually mentioned the veil tonight, you know, which is a common way to describe the whatever the barrier is between our physical world and this other spiritual world. But you've talked about this veil thinning. What do you mean by that? And do you think there's something, is there something specific about the timing of this? I do. You know, I, I was shocked um, when we were all quarantined and stuck in our houses. And I thought, okay, I can do this. I had a broken ankle and I was um, just meditating a lot in my house. And what I realized is that, whoa, there's so much information out there that there's so much knowledge about light beings, about how to create different types of communities, how to support one another coming to the planet right now that if you have ever wanted to lucid dream or connect with your loved ones or figure out a deeper connection, now is a great time to do that because you're really supported by a whole lot more energy that just seems closer to the planet. And I saw it as sometimes a little overwhelming to absorb it all. So I thought, wow, if I'm having a hard time absorbing this, then probably a lot of people are dealing with high levels of anxiety. And one of the things that I'd like to remind people of is it's not all your anxiety. One, you're getting downloads of information, but two, you're understanding that, you know, it's a phrase that seems kind of silly at this point, like we're all in this together, we're all one, but you're picking up on the energy of other people. So if you're surrounded by a lot of people who are anxious, your own anxiety level can rise unless you start understanding how to work with your aura, how to protect yourself, how to stay in that flow of unconditional love, no matter what is going on around you, and and really start becoming more aware of energy. Obviously, there are far more people that have not had a near-death experience than there are, like you, that have had this experience. Are those people that have not had the near-death experience, do they still have this support from angels or light beings that they're just not aware of? They do. They do. And some people talk to their angels and they're not sure if they're listening or if they're helping, but they are. And I guess I just always like to shift the conversation to energy that if you feel suddenly better. So if you feel like, oh, I just felt warmth or I just felt, you know, an extra vibration of love or peace or I was anxious a minute ago and now I kind of feel tingles or I feel like, oh, now I can sleep better, then you are being assisted by a being. You know, this is just a better sign than... uh, People get signs. You know, they ask for signs, coins and feathers and license plates and all that. But I I just say pay attention to the energy. Uh, You obviously, since you uh, wrote your book and you've sort of talked about your experiences more uh, thoroughly and in more detail, I'm sure you've talked to a lot of others who've uh, had similar experiences. Do you find them to be very similar to yours, or are there a lot of variations of these types of experiences? What I've um, found is that the people who have gotten to that point in a near-death experience where they are in that flow of unconditional love of God are changed forever. So that seems to be a point in a near-death experience that makes it, we almost sound like we're 
longing for death at times when we talk about it. It's like a lost love, you know, or mm-hmm. something like, oh, that moment in the light, you know, that, right. you know, that, that we have that, that in common, you know, that, that absolute love for that. And I've interviewed, I have a YouTube channel, a few people who've had hellish experiences or negative experiences, and they seem changed by the experiences, so it seems to cause a positive shift in their life. I think there's very few people, there are some, and they usually don't talk about it because they're in the process of incorporating it, but there are some people who suffer a lot of depression coming back here, you know, because you have to sometimes face a very broken body or your relationships are different after a near-death experience. But most people, when they, when they fully incorporated it, say they're grateful for the experience, that it showed them something they couldn't have imagined. I wasn't going to mention this but um, because I didn't want to change the tone of the conversation, but you referenced it, so now I have to. Uh, we had, we've had some people on the program, too, talking about their near-death experiences. One in particular I remember, uh, he, he had a very similar start to his experience as you did, where he was floating above his body. He could see people working in the room and outside the room. And then he said there were these light beings, similar to what you described, that started to beckon him. And when he didn't uh, make the effort, I guess, to approach them, they actually turned very sinister and tried to drag him somewhere. I don't know if you've ever heard of an experience like that. Talk to anybody who had something that seemed much more malicious than than your experience, but maybe you could uh, could offer some insight onto maybe what this gentleman had experienced. Wow, I want to find him now. I want to interview him. <laughs> like that, yeah. that is uh, fascinating. I I have interviewed Howard Storm, and that's my only reference. And he was taken to hell, um, basically, and torn apart. And I remember asking him, like, why do you think? you needed to experience that because these are personal experiences to some degree. And he said that as an atheist, he wouldn't have changed if he wouldn't have had that contrast of negative and positive. That if, for whatever reason, he felt like that, that contrast was enough to give him a particular mission. So I'd be really curious how this person framed that, like what they learned from it. Yeah, I'm just I'm trying to I'm going to have my producer see if we can come up with a name. I can't remember which uh guest that was, but it was it was something it was quite oh. it was quite uh jarring when he was telling this particular story. It sounds uh, jarring. Yeah. <laughs> traumatizing. And you know, it, Howard Storm's story is traumatizing too. He had to get therapy for, you know, that that moment. I I never felt that, you know, like I I felt like mine was wholly positive and of course you know, I've heard those people say, oh, that's the devil in disguise and, you know, blah, 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 all that stuff. And I said, no, the soul knows. Yeah, I was going to say, the presence of I God. would think you could tell the difference ultimately, you know? It's, yeah. Um, when, uh, so you, do you do regular consultations with people as, as a medium or as a, some kind of a counselor? Uh, is that you something know, you do regularly I now? I call some of it spiritual counseling because people have their own questions and experiences that they want to process. And what I love to do is I'm certified in theta healing, and it makes a lot of sense to me as a near-death experiencer is just incorporate some of that into the readings if it feels right to people. Because a lot of times energy clearing of um, emotional wounds or even past life memories or just things we hold in our DNA 
can really shift us into more joy and more freedom to choose the kind of life that we want to create here. And is that something that you offer people when they visit your website? There's something they can uh, contact you for? Yeah, yeah. I love Theta Healing. That's, um, you know, it's kind of a recent thing, so I may not have updated my website, but I definitely incorporate that into readings if people want it. I want to go back, uh, kind of rewind here uh, for a minute, because you did mention that after you came, you know, after you were brought back to consciousness physically, uh, you had a conversation with your doctors about your experience, and they all seemed to kind of uh, dismiss it, right? I mean, is that how you described it? Yeah. So, you know, I did get confirmation from my main neurosurgeon. I asked her immediately, I said, hey, I died. How long was I dead? And this was early on in my recovery, and she stepped back away from me, and she said, well, we thought we lost you for a minute or two, but you're fine now. You're getting this blood transfusion, just rest, and your surgery was successful. And, you know, she wanted to talk about the fact that, you know, I'm going to have a great healing experience. And I know, you know, just looking at her, I was even on morphine and (laughs) coming out of surgery, I understood that she didn't want to talk about that, but it was really making her uncomfortable, and I, I guess I had enough intuition. There are some near-death experiencers who were, if you keep talking about it, you might get prescribed medicine, or you know, you might, in some cases, people have even been uh, sent to psychiatric wards. So I changed yeah. my tone with her really quickly yeah. <laughs> and just talked about what she wanted to talk about. That's a shame, isn't it? That, I mean, when you're, regardless of the source of the conversation, I mean, we know yours. It was a legitimate experience, um, but even if it's someone just talking, mean, it seems it seems awfully harsh to to uh, automatically assume they need some type of uh, psychological evaluation or something. I know, and you know, many near death experiencers who are in the medical field have given presentations to hospitals, and some hospitals have actually now become informed, you know, about near death experiences, and at least you know, the very least they can do is just document what they can and give it to people in case they want to tell their stories later or just, you know, just verify with them the basic details, you know, and just listen. Yeah, and and the reason I brought brought us back to this particular point is that uh, I know that there have been now books written by uh, medical personnel talking about these things. So do you think there's a bit of a a turning the corner here on an an attitude? Oh, yes. There's um, a great book called After that recently came out, and um, I love it because the researcher is talking about how, um, much like me, there are people who have worked in schools and told their story to numerous students, and when people actually hear these near-death experience stories, they feel better. So they literally... um, adds uh, peace to classrooms and lowers stress. When you talk about these things, and particularly your experience, uh, I don't know that you always know the beliefs of the person you're talking to about it, but do you see any difference in belief between someone who might be religious versus someone who might not be? As you tell your story, does one group tend to um, uh, accept it more readily than the other? You know, that's a great question, and I have to say that, you know, a lot of Christians are very open and open to hearing the story because there's a lot of moderate Christians, you know, and there's a lot of Catholics who just, you know, like the ritual or Episcopalians, or um, but people who are very conservative or, um, 
you know, evangelical, I think, are the generally the ones who um, want to argue with it the most, right. who read the Bible to literally, and instead of thinking that maybe governments and cultures may have changed that book a little you know, over time. Right. What about your own, I, I hate to use the word religious, but I don't know a better way to describe it because spiritual doesn't quite do it, but what about your own religious transformation from before this happened to you to after? Yeah, so I grew up in one of those evangelical homes and, and you know, um, rebelled against that. And then um, afterwards, I, I just really was spiritual. You know, I would go to different churches, like the Church of Psychic Science or Unity or, you know, just try spiritual groups, I mean, in, in general. And I did it in 2008. That was a, kind of a pivotal year for me. I went to a holy cathedral outside of Santa Fe, and I felt the presence of Jesus. So I do feel like the Christ consciousness is a beautiful consciousness on this planet, a very healing consciousness. I think it's often misunderstood. There are some churches that, you know, I can step into for a time, but, you know, anything that reeks of sexism or too much dogma kind of honestly turns me off. And there's this, um, you know, living in, I live in the South, and so I live in Texas, and I've lived in Boston, you know, other places, but here there, you know, there's a lot of fear of mediumship. There's a lot of fear of, um, you know, getting involved in things that people don't immediately understand. So um, this is the first year someone told me, Happy Easter, how to cashier <laughs> register. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm really more spiritual than religious. And she looked at me with shock, but I was like, it just felt good to say it. <laughs> <laughs> what, is your, what is your advice for people who may have had uh, an experience at, like yours? Maybe they're afraid or embarrassed to discuss it with anyone. Uh, maybe they just don't understand it. What's your advice for those folks? Well, we're so lucky that we live in a time where there's Facebook support groups. You know, there's some great ones out there. There's, there's um, IANS is a wonderful group. There's, uh, you know, Raymond Moody has, has a community. I have a YouTube channel and community and, you know, support people. There, there's just so many people out there talking about these things and relating. And, and even IANS has these small sharing groups online where, if you don't have an IAMS group in your town, you can still get online and share or just listen to other people's stories. Because in the beginning, all I did was listen to and briefly tell my story in small groups. It was really, it was a long progression for me to tell it on a television station. I mean, 94 to 2008, really, before I, I told it. Trisha, your book is called Angels in the OR. Uh, where's the book available? We we talked about your website earlier, trishabarkernde.com. I'm sure there's information there. But tell people exactly where the YouTube channel is and all the other sources and places they can go to get either look for your help or get more information about your work. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, the book is on Audible if you like to listen to books. I didn't narrate it, but um, the narrator's great. And, of course, it's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, you know, you can find it most places. Uh, the the uh, website, yeah, Trisha Barker, T-R-I-C-I-A, Barker, B-A-R-K-E-R-N-D-E.com is the main website, and I have a summit where I'm interviewing lots of near-death experiencers and healers and anthropologists and, and uh, you know, just really interesting people this summer, and that's 
going to be live streamed and free on my channel. And if you want the recordings, you can purchase those. But it's a ton of fun. I love just talking with people. So uh, let's spend a minute before I let you go about this online summit. Give us a little more detail. And you said it's free for anybody who wants to watch this live stream? Yeah. So on the 24th, 25th, and 20, or 23rd, 24th, and 25th of July, um, from 1 p.m. Central to 6 p.m., I have a variety of speakers. And uh, maybe you've heard of some of them, Michael and Raphael Tamura. Um, of course, Dr. Evan Alexander and Karen Newell. Um, Lisa Romano, not many people know that she had a near-death experience. She has a huge YouTube channel, like 400-plus subscribers, 400,000 um, wow. subscribers, and she talks about narcissistic abuse. And Michael Sandler from Inspire Nation, Jeffrey Olson, who's a near-death experiencer, lots of, lots of different people who focus on healing and, um, you know, connection with spirit. Is this some... Um, um... Is it, I don't know how it works. It's, it's, it's not Zoom, I suppose. It's just, uh, is it on YouTube? Yeah, so those days it will just be live streaming on YouTube. Okay. But I have a lot of, I can't do that, you know, like for all the speakers. So um, some of them, and they have time um, conflicts. So some are pre-recorded, and those are for purchase. But there's still, you know, some great YouTube channels right. and great speakers who, if you want just the free version, it's, going to be July 23rd through the 25th. Terrific. Tricia, thank you so much for coming back. And your story is so inspirational. And uh, your energy is quite uh, uplifting as well. So thank you for being with us here tonight. Oh, thank you. It was great. I enjoyed it. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.